1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
2: Mining hardware manufacturer Bitmain has officially filed for an IPO. Good evening. I'm Bailey Reitzel, and this is Late Confirmation from Coindesk, bringing you the top stories from September 26, 2018. On today's show... Congress talks crypto again. Coinbase is gearing up to rapidly expand the range of crypto assets it lists. And a new Ethereum scaling solution is out and will be ready way sooner than any other technologies aimed at scaling the second largest blockchain today. Then a little later in the show, Coindesk editor Mark Hochstein will talk to Preston Byrne, a lawyer, independent consultant, and noted blockchain provocateur.
3: I think the way they did it, it runs a very major risk that the
1: regulator could find it to be a security, yes.
2: But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: Master financial technology online with the 10-week Oxford FinTech program. Interacting with an international cohort of business leaders and over 60 guest experts, you'll gain a practical introduction to key financial technologies and their business applications. Find out more at OxfordExecFintech.com.
2: Chinese mining giant Bitmain has published its initial public offering or IPO prospectus. The application is still in draft with various details redacted, so it's unclear how much the firm will be valued at in the end or the number of shares it will be offering. But some important details are public. For instance, it's now known that Bitmain made more than $2.5 billion in revenue in 2017. And notably, the company this year is set to far eclipse that. As of June 30th, 2018, the company reports more than $2.8 billion in revenue. Along with that, Bitmain sold 2.5 million miners in the second quarter of this year, and that's compared with the 1.6 million miners it sold in 2017 total. In the prospectus, Bitmain also reported that it owned land for mining facilities in three Chinese provinces and leases about 50 properties. It's also planning to buy land in Washington, Tennessee, Texas, and the Canadian province of Quebec. Up next, some 80 people from the cryptocurrency and traditional finance industry gathered at the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. The event, called Legislating Certainty for Cryptocurrencies, was hosted by Congressman Warren Davidson and featured speakers like CoinList General Counsel Georgia Quinn and Blockchain President and Chief Legal Officer Marco Santori. The crypto industry called for more regulatory certainty in a wide array of issues there, such as taxation, the legal status of blockchain startups as money transmitters, and the legal status of token sales. However, CoinList Quinn told Coindesk that she was unsure what sort of legislation the industry would like to see in the end. Congress has recently expressed interest in blockchain and cryptocurrency and has conducted a series of events dedicated to the industry over the past few months. Coinbase has revamped its policy for listing new cryptocurrencies, replacing an ad hoc process with one the startup hopes will rapidly expand the range of assets traded on its exchange. Announced Tuesday, the new system allows almost anyone to submit a cryptocurrency through an online form for evaluation under the company's digital asset framework. Those that meet the criteria may be listed, although not necessarily available right away to all Coinbase customers. That's because listings will be added on a jurisdiction-by-jurisdiction basis, rather than supporting all assets globally, as Coinbase has done up until now. As a result, some coins won't be available for Coinbase customers to trade in places where local regulations either expressly forbid them or are unclear about their legality. Previously, there was no formal mechanism to request a listing to Coinbase, and some organizations would reportedly lobby Coinbase to support their assets. As such, the change represents a welcome mat of sorts to crypto development teams from a company whose mainstream popularity potentially offers unparalleled exposure. Next up, Ethereum needs a scaling solution. That's no surprise. But most of the scaling solutions being tinkered with today aren't set for releases anytime soon. That's what's different about a new solution dubbed Mosaic launched by startup OpenST. According to the company, its solution will be ready in just a couple months. Created by ex-Hyperledger developer Benjamin Bolin, Mosaic allows tokens to be moved onto an auxiliary system off the main Ethereum blockchain. Within that off chain system, the heavy computational activity will happen until a batch of transactions is asynchronously committed back onto the live Ethereum blockchain. And as such, this layer two solution not only increases the capacity or throughput of processing a larger volume of transactions, but also reduces transaction costs. Earlier this week, Mark Hochstein, an editor over here at Coindesk, spoke with Preston Byrne, a lawyer and independent consultant. About the legal issues around ICOs, Ether, XRP, and stablecoins.
0: You've been critical of ICOs since very early on, um, and uh, perhaps uh, to some degree, you've been vindicated this year.
3: Uh, Big thanks for noticing.
0: Are utility tokens really a thing? No, not at all.
3: I mean, not in the sense that not in the sense that I think hmm, are they really a thing? Not in the sense that they were at the beginning of 2017. So I think in the beginning of 2017, your utility token concept was a way to raise capital for a business. Um, and that that is not what, you know, if there is ever going to be such a thing as a utility token or a token which is based on usage of a network, um, then you're not going to be pre-selling those tokens because that moves it very squarely into investment product territory which in the U.S. is widely thought to be, although they haven't really inf- done a whole lot of enforcement, is widely thought to be subject to securities laws. It's an investment
0: product because it's being used to raise capital.
3: Basically, yes. And in the U.K., the same. So the Treasury Select Committee uh, of the British Parliament came out last week and said, we need to start regulating this like an investment product as a matter of urgency and put it under the ambit of what's called the Financial uh, or the regulated activities order. So so that that was basically an investment product. What we're seeing this year is a lot of companies have changed. Uh, their stance. Uh, I'm not going to mention which ones, but so, because unfortunately due to NDAs. But a lot of companies I'm starting to see have changed their stance where they're still going to leave the token in there. But the token is basically serving, again, an original function. It's a medium of exchange. You provide a service to validate uh, on a network. You get the token in exchange for providing the validation service. And then someone who wants to purchase the validation service from you goes and gets a token and they go and participate in the network using the token. So there aren't really good ways to measure or value those kinds of things. It's um, something
0: that you its something that you earn by doing a service. It's something that you
3: earn by doing work, correct. So, and that, there's still a risk that you could have this thing classified as a security. But at least if you're doing it that way, um, you're, there is some honest work being done. <laughs> it's, it's not a, a really crass pre-mine, which you then go sell to bring capital in. It's a way that you actually go and provide a useful service and you say you know what we have this token which is designed to be generated as a result of providing validation services and is designed to be spent in order to purchase those validation services so you know or the the utility of the network does that mean the utility you know utility token model and pre-selling things through a saft instrument as it's known um, is sustainable or good or or an appropriate way to, to run a business you know that's that's a question everyone really has to answer for themselves i think not um but that it, that said, people have adjusted uh, in accordance, you know, in accordance with what the SEC has come out with.
0: What do you think of some of the sort of token friendly and generally blockchain friendly policies that small jurisdictions, Wyoming, Singapore, have taken, and 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 in general, the, the emergence of, for what, of a lack of a better term, I'll call blockchain havens. You know, like Malta, Bermuda. Um, seem to be trying to welcome this industry with, with, with open arms as a legal scholar, as a student of the industry. Um, do you think th- these are healthy developments? Are they, are, are they, are they concerning you? It's adorable. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really very sweet uh, to see Malta uh, taking the lead on, on ensuring that Binance feels comfortable. Uh, within their jurisdiction, you I mean, know, maybe I'm
0: maybe and you know, maybe I mixed apples and oranges there. But uh, well,
3: it's, break break it down. So with the small jurisdictions, we have to be mindful that these systems are still going to be running globally, and most of the consumers of these systems are not going to be in those jurisdictions. So we saw something similar to this 15, 20 years ago, when you had these small tax havens um, that were that were basic. They had all kinds of crazy bank privacy laws and the rest of it, and the OECD blacklisted them. If they just if they wouldn't uh, engage in, in tax information uh, exchange agreements and enter into those with the you know larger you know Western states like the U.S., so what happened was they got brought within the global regulatory regime uh, because the rest of the world said, look, you know a huge amount of tax fraud is being committed here in our jurisdictions. Uh, you're enabling it, and we really aren't going to be able to continue doing business with you if that if that continues to be the case. Similarly, if you have a company that decides they're going to go issue a coin in Malta and they're okay with Maltese law, but they then start selling those coins to UK individuals uh, and US persons uh, in contravention of whatever the applicable British or US rules are, they're going to be under the British and US rules. And the last thing you want to do is annoy the American federal government. Um, that, that's pretty much, you know, there, I can't, I think maybe swimming with sharks or, or, or I don't know, I can't even imagine what else, or maybe, you know, trying to, I don't know, streaking through a crowd of angry groundhogs or something. I don't know. Annoying the American government is right up
0: there in the pulling list of bad ideas. The, pull, pulling the tiger by the tail, perhaps. Yeah. So so it really
3: behooves entrepreneurs to not think that that's a, a catch-all solution because most of their users, most of the capital, all of those things are still going to be based in the U.S. Um, so it's really important for them to ensure that they've got the U.S. bases covered. Otherwise, they're creating a problem. We haven't really seen any enforcement yet. Um, but it is widely predicted to come. So I think anyone who thinks that just because it hasn't happened, uh, it won't, is um, is being a little naive.
0: Well, what about Wyoming? I, I, some of what's going on in Wyoming reminds me, and I and I don't mean this in a bad way, uh, of South Dakota in like the 80s or whenever the credit card industry was getting started. And John Reed and uh, Walter Riston go out to South Dakota. They had— you know, and you created laws that allowed the you know South Dakota to become the back office, essentially the credit card industry uh, is is uh, is is Wyoming uh, going through something similar? and is that is that something you see as healthy? It's
3: healthy, sure. But I think again, you'd have to consider whether you can keep a blockchain system uh, contained within the literally the four corner corners of Wyoming. Um, it, these things cross state lines really, really easily. They cross national boundaries very, very easily. They're intended. To do all of those things, and so I think if you don't do the federal analysis in the U.S. or the EU analysis in the European Union, you know there you, there's a lot of complication that you have to that you have to get past. And until the laws are harmonized, um, you know Wyoming, great, it's good to see that a state is embracing blockchain tech. Uh, Caitlin Long has been quite involved in that, and she's first rate. Um, so so that's great to see, but it isn't necess- But the minute you start doing business in Wyoming and say I don't know Vermont then it's a federal issue, and the federal issue so far has proven very complicated.
0: Is Ether a security?
3: In my opinion, yes. XRP? Chewing on that one but if I had if I had
0: to guess ladies if, and gentlemen you know. I've stumped Preston mm-hmm. Byrne I just I, I this this moment needs to be recorded in the blockchain no for, I was, I was wondering how
3: to phrase it because I just wrote a blog post that was quite critical of XRP and I'm eager not to get sued so <laughs> so you know um, I think XRP I think it, there was a potential for it the, I think the way they did it, it runs a very major risk that the regulator could find it to be a security yes um, ether in Ether, in my opinion, is pretty cut and dry. There were offering documents. Uh, it was you know, People were buying it as an investment. I was there. I remember. I saw it all. It was pre-sold. It was a very classic ICO. And that we have seen time and again, the SEC has said, that kind of conduct puts you very squarely in securities land. Ripple, not so much. So they issued a bunch of tokens to themselves. They have then sold them on a rolling basis. Out into the market for you know the last five years since it, the since the system went live on the January first, twenty thirteen. So it's really a question of what a national regulator thinks of that conduct. It doesn't look like your classic ICO, um, and you know because they've been around for so long. So that's an open question. It would let me put it this way: in either case, if I were running a blockchain company, I would not have chosen to adopt either model.
0: And stable coins is something is another concept you've been critical of, um, but you still you still see projects getting launched. Like it seems like every week there's a, there's a new stable coin. Uh, is there any model that might actually work in your view? The model that might work,
3: the mod- the only model that can work. Well, there I suppose there are two. The first model that can work uh, is if you have it redeemable one for one with an actual deposit and an actual bank, uh, which is insolvency remote and you know insured and all the rest of it. So that model is being utilized by Paxos, uh, formerly Ipbit, and Gemini. So those two companies have decided they're going to have a programmable dollar on a blockchain. Uh, it's convertible, therefore, it will have parity, and you know, presumably, just those two. As far as I'm aware, avo- well, you- well, so we also have there are a couple of other companies that are doing that. Um, there's Tether. Uh, Tether, of course, is the is uh, associated with Bitfinex or yes. widely thought to be associated yes. with Bitfinex. Um, well, there, but, there's no audit in that case. But they have not been fully transparent with their financial affairs, so I do not classify them. At, in the, in the, they're not really in the same class as Gemini and Paxos, who have bit licenses from NYDFS. So if you do that, if you go through all of that work, um, I, you know, just gent- personally, I'm going to accord you a little more respect than someone who hasn't done the work. So then you have other schemes. Um, there are two. There's TrueUSD, which I believe is is dollar backed, and there's Tether. Um, true USD, I know very little about, so so it wouldn't be appropriate to speculate. Tether, um, I think we all know quite a lot about, mm-hmm. but again, it's equally not appropriate. And we we to know speculate. what, and we know what we don't know. We know what we don't know, right? And 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 Tether has decided to to uh, to not disabuse us of our ignorance. So that's uh, so that that is uh, that's another universe. And then you have these other. So you have MakerDAO, um, which is a uh, Ether and other cryptocurrency. Uh, backed stablecoin. It basically backs itself. Uh, So they issue a crypto. They then say, well, the crypto that we've just issued is collateral for the stablecoin. The issue there, of course, is that um, the regulatory picture is daunting. And in addition to that, uh, if the price of the underlying cryptocurrency collapses or people don't buy the cryptocurrency uh, the cryptocurrency fails so or rather the the stable coin fails if the people stop buying the stable coin so that's that's one issue it's it's a regulatory nightmare and if people stop buying it's not going to work and finally you have the algorithmic stable coins such as basecoin or basis protocol as they're now known uh, and that's horrendous in my opinion that that's that's straight up um Freshman dorm room economics, like, do not, they don't know which way is up, have no business running a company. Um, And I'm really surprised it ever got funded, especially that it got funded $100 million plus, Um, which speaks to, again, you know, where are we in terms of hype versus trough of disillusionment? Uh, Here we have, on the one hand, Paxos and Gemini building schemes that could really enable all kinds of crazy, interesting, programmable finance. Uh, with new automated assets, that is not getting one tenth the attention or funding of a project like Basis, which raised I think 133 million dollars for something that's fundamentally economically broken. Um, so, <laughs> so there, there's we're living in a kind of crazy world where really, really smart, well, carefully thought out projects that don't involve an immediate payoff in the crypto markets. Don't get as much funding as those that do potentially have the access to the retail investors.
0: Do you think that's going to last? Nope. I mean, like, or, like how long do you think that would, that will last?
3: It'll last until an exchange goes down, because of federal because of regulatory action. That is, and not a day longer. And
0: how soon is that
3: going to be? Uh, I don't know. How many angels can you fit on the head of a pin? I mean, if we, you know, we could speculate all day. Um, the federal government is one of those things. Which has unlimited resources uh, but limited personnel. So I would, you know, it's it's really on their timetable. These things can take years. Um, I think there are a lot of I think there's a lot of fraud in the space, without a doubt. I think a lot of that fraud is concentrated in the exchange space and the coin issuance space. Um, when are we going to find out about it? I mean, Jordan Belfort is your prime example. His start to finish of Stratton Oakmont, the day they opened until the day they closed down, was a decade, ten years. So we could be waiting a very long time for some of these operations that are kind of dressing up investment propositions and complicated tech um, for those to actually be closed down and someone to say, no, this, this never should have happened to begin with. When that happens, then you're going to say, okay, well, here are the ones that, that passed muster, that survived, that were you know, well thought out and well planned and protected investors appropriately and did all their KYC and made all their disclosures and complied with the Bank Secrecy Act. This is a company that lived and made it. And then there are companies that don't do that, are making money hand over fist right now, but I think are are much less likely to survive because the only reason they're making money hand over fist is because they're taking all kinds of shortcuts. Um, So that's, you have to kind of be a student of history. And people unfortunately say, well, unfortunately that kind of makes you sound like a bit of a doom monger, Um, but it's going to happen as surely as the sun rises in the East every morning. So
0: you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much, Preston. Thank you. Great to see you.
1: Late Confirmation is brought to you by Oxford University's Said Business School. You can now study fintech entirely online with Oxford University's Saeed Business School. The 10-week program gives you the tools you need to build the future of transactions and commerce. You'll explore emerging technologies that will disrupt marketplaces and financial services, and examine the state of the industry and plan disruptive intra- and entrepreneurial interventions. Throughout the program, you'll be exposed to key ideas, principles, and frameworks from CEOs of leading startups, corporate leaders, and instructional leaders at the forefront of research in the space of future commerce and transactions. Find out more at OxfordExecFintech.com.
2: For more on today's stories and to subscribe to our newsletter, check out Coindesk.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Coindesk. And if you're looking for me, I'm at BLR13 on Twitter. Plus, if you're enjoying the show so far, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For Coindesk, I'm Bailey Reitzel, and this has been Late Confirmation.